0: Welcome to Music Matters Podcast with Daryl Craig Harris, talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders and more. Welcome to Music Matters, a podcast series where we talk about all things music. Today, I have special guest Rodney Hall from the legendary Fame Recording Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Um, Fame is actually the same studio that was featured in the music documentary film, Muscle Shoals. How you doing, Rodney?
1: I'm good, how are you, Daryl? I'm good, man.
0: I see you got your your studio, except yours is real, mine's virtual. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> me. good to see you again yeah this is it's, i'm in studio b here at fame this is a studio that we uh remodeled about uh a year ago totally gutted it right we opened it up right before covid luckily
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I can imagine. yeah
1: we, uh, but i yeah we, we remodeled it completely it was built in 67 and we gutted it and rebuilt the walls put in a ssl 6000 that we got from uh dallas sound labs and i partnered with glenn rosenstein who's a legendary producer engineer uh, right to do this so yeah
0: yeah that's i mean the studio is, is cool i think a lot of people saw the film uh, muscle shoals and that's when i first became aware of you guys um but of course the studio has been famous and and world renowned since the 60s i really when, when did actually studio first open there i know it opened somewhere else before but
1: yeah it it opened here in 62 oh, okay. but my, my mom and dad and their her her parents went to the bank and borrowed twelve thousand dollars
0: Yeah. Which is a lot of money back then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, they they built the first phase in 62.
0: So your dad, Rick Hall's featured in the film and that's actually, the film was based on um, his book, the man from Muscle Shoals.
1: Actually it it wasn't based on, on the book. The book came out after the film. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. It was actually just a doc. The documentary was just put together by the producers. Uh, it was, you know, it was based on just the history that they learned. They did read my dad's book, uh, the early an early version uh, so they, they did have, have that you know that knowledge but they they also got it from other places
0: right yeah i mean that studio has been i mean they had the hits that came out of there it's just amazing if people haven't seen the film i mean can you give us just a, a short list i mean it's a very long list but just a short list of the, some of the highlights
1: Aretha Franklin's very first hit record, uh, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Loved You, and um, Do Right Woman both came came out of fame, Tell Mama, I'd Rather Go Blind, Etta James, Mustang Sally, Land of a Thousand Dances, Funky Broadway, Hey Jude, Hey Joe, yeah. Barefoot and Wilson Pickett, uh, and, and many more. So
0: many legendary songs. Water
1: Patches, Slip Away, Too Weak to Fight, uh, little Richards recorded here, Otis Redding, um, you know, on and on Solomon Burke. Um, it's really, I could go on for days. It's pretty, it's a pretty substantial list. <laughs>
0: yeah. The discography. I know when you look at it and it's like, I mean, what's amazing is that all came out of that little town and, in, and uh, in, well, I guess it's Muscle Shoals, but also Florence is kind of right there too. Right.
1: Yeah. It's uh, you know, there's four cities here, Muscle Shoals, Sheffield, Tuscumbia and Florence. and, uh, Muscle Shoals got the credit for the music because that's where fame was uh, out of the four cities. Uh, and so that's where it started. And, but um, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's musicians that come from all, all four cities and, you know, now we're, we're 60 years into, to our history. So there's people come from a lot of other places after the, after the, the original, um, uh, you know, group of musicians, Jerry Kerrigan Norbert Putnam, David Briggs and Terry Thompson's and Peanut Montgomery musicians started coming here because there was, there was music being made and they were having success. So we've had people from all over the world move here, but it's uh, yeah, the, 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 Genesis was in Muscle Shoals, but there's, there's four cities and it's a weird, it's a weird small town. Dynamic. you got four small cities right together, all competing with each other uh, and competing with everyone else together at the same time. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a weird dynamic.
0: Yeah, you're right on the river. What which river is that? Tennessee River. Tennessee River. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, we, don't, we actually how we first met. I should tell people is, I had a, a good friend Gugay who's a film director and a singer uh, from Finland and songwriter, and uh, we both had a huge love for Muscle Shoals the film, and he's actually the one that that turned me on to the film when I was over in Helsinki, and uh, we were talking about places to record, and I said, you know, we should actually check on Muscle Shoals because I mean, just the history and and the vibe and and the whole thing so that's how that was i guess now a few years ago which is it's time flies i guess it was it was
1: was a good time yeah Yeah, really good time and you
0: guys i mean so that one of the things about muscle shoals besides all the hits is also the swampers which is the guys you just named the original guys um david hood being one of those guys who's a legendary legendary bass player um and that's a big part of the story too i guess down there
1: yeah absolutely it is there's so there's the the session musicians are a huge part of the story and and as well as songwriters and produce and engineers and producers and and, you know it's the gamut but you know there there were a a group of musicians there there's been multiple musicians and it's kind of gets gets lost in the story Mm -hmm. because but it's i think very important to point out that you know there there has been multiple generations of groups of studio musicians come through muscle shows now that have recorded on many, many hit records, including, you know, the swampers who are the most famous. So they were in the song sweet home, Alabama, you know, muscle shows has got the swampers. Sure. So they, and, and they're the only, they also are the only uh, rhythm section that I know of in history that owned, that opened up their own recording studio and publishing company.
0: Right. And they had a lot of their own success too.
1: Right. I mean, there was tons of others, you know, there was Booker T and the MGs, but I don't think they they never owned a studio and actually were a corporation together. Right. Um, So those guys did that, but there were other groups, there were a group before them, there were the Fame Gang after them, there was, you know, multiple iterations of the Fame Gang. So there's been a lot of uh, great, great studio musicians come through here. And that is absolutely a big part of the story.
0: Yeah, what's what's amazing on that story too, and they kind of touch upon or talk a lot about that actually in the film is that your dad rick um i mean a legendary producer um it's just amazing his story his life story is amazing but also that he was able to continue having hits even though the, those guys that original group of musicians you know they went off and did their own thing which i think was muscle Shoals sound is that correct correct um but he kept rolling he kept having hits didn't matter <laughs> it was you know
1: Absolutely. He was, after they left, I mean, a few years after they left, he was producer of the year. I was just looking, actually, he was billboard producer of the year. I was just looking, my friend Dave Cobb uh, who's a great producer uh, engineer out of Nashville is nominated for producer of the year. And I was just looking up before we got on actually uh, because I I thought I was right about this, but my dad was nominated. He was in the, the first year they ever had a producer category for the Grammys. He was nominated along with the guy that he started with uh, originally in in partnership, Billy Sherrill, who went on to Mm -hmm. Nashville to be a huge. So they were both, they were from Phil Campbell, Alabama, which is about 30 minutes south. And it's a population of about, no lie, it can't be more than 400 people. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I know there's all those little
0: small towns down there, right?
1: Right, and both those guys went to high school together, and they're (laughs) both nominated for the very first Grammy Award for Producer of the Year. Neither one of them Uh, won it. (laughs) well but you
0: know what i mean you think about that i mean i know your dad's story he came from really you know grinding poverty basically he talks a lot about that in the film but um it's an amazing thing like that he actually that's sort of the americana story pulling yourself up from your bootstraps right
1: it really is and you know if if you know if if you really knew how poor they were i mean they were living in the woods they would they would. it was basically a, a sharecropper which meant he would uh, his dad would, uh, they would move somewhere on a piece of land. They would work the land for the owner and they would split the crops with the owner. Uh, mm-hmm. They would also do saw milling. So they would go out in the woods and cut a section uh, somebody had some trees they wanted to cut. They'd do the same with trees. So they, they lived in, in the wilderness. He grew up in the wilderness and literally with straw beds and, you know, no toilet and, uh, you know, going to the, going to the stream to get water and the whole, the whole yeah. nine yards. But uh, he, you know, he rose above all that through his tenacity and persistence and, and never say die attitude and had, uh, had had hits co- consecutively uh, pretty much a hit or at least one hit a year for 30 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. How, how long did it, I, what was actually the first hit out of the studio?
1: The first hit was a song called You Better Move On by Arthur Alexander. And it, it was immediately covered by two new bands in, in England, and they were the Beatles and the Rolling Stones.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good covers, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The A side and the B side were, were covered by, by both of them.
0: Wow, that's amazing. They,
1: were, they weren't the Beatles and the Stones then, they were just these new bands. So, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to see that all evolve and how Muscle Shoals was actually influential in creating British rock.
0: Yeah, and then down the road, the Stones actually came. I know it was actually, I think it was Muscle Shoals Sound, but they came down there to record, right?
1: Yes, Jackson Highway, 3614 Jackson Highway, Muscle Shoals Sound. They recorded Wild Horses, uh, Brown Sugar, and You Gotta Move. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, uh, like in, in two days, they were, they were actually, the stories, they were coming from, uh, I think they'd been in Miami, in Miami, and they were going to Altamont. Uh, right, well, yeah the famous show you know the hell's angels kill some people
0: yeah
1: um and they needed to record three songs and they said let's go to muscle shoals so they flew to flew to muscle shoals and
0: Hmm.
1: according to the documentary keith says they would have done more records here but apparently he couldn't get into the country because of legal issues
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. he had a pretty kind of colorful life yeah Uh, yeah that's amazing i mean like that that's an amazing story and like I, they actually talk a lot about that in the film. Them coming down there, that must have been like I know those guys. Well, the I think all the British bands, like the Beatles and those guys, all had a huge love for um, the blues and and that that music that came out of there,
1: right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: What what's your um, what's your earliest memories of of obviously growing up down there must have been pretty fun because there's and also with your dad having the studio. What's your earliest memories of coming to the studio?
1: Oh man, I mean, I, I so the studio, this studio had been built for uh four years when I was born and already had mm-hmm. uh multiple hits on on uh, Tommy Rowe and the Tams and uh Joe Tex um and a few other Jimmy Hughes, yep, had still away and neighbor neighbor, so it was already happening by the time I was born, so I mean. I I never remember a time not coming to this building.
0: Yeah, that Uh, that was just like interwoven in your in your all your memories, probably right as a kid.
1: Yeah, I mean it was it was at this point I've, I've thought about this, and at this point in my life, I have spent more time in this building than any other building. You know on the planet right the only constant in my life <laughs> yeah. Moved around to houses and, yeah.
0: yeah that's cool i mean the thing is i mean your dad really provided a different life for you than than what he had which i'm sure he was very proud of
1: absolutely absolutely but he he he, he, he always he was a tough dude man he was he was uh he he treated everybody the same so we were uh absolutely he wanted to teach us how he grew up. So he made us work for pretty much everything we ever got. Um, you know, we had to buy our own cars, We had to put ourselves through school. He would give us the tools to be able to do that. For example, to go to college, he gave me and my brothers each five, five cows a piece. We could (laughs) raise, raise the cows and, and raise the calves to sell the calves. And that was our money to go to school. Yeah. uh, When spending money. So, uh, you know, he always wanted us to, to, he wanted us to grow So he, he moved us to this ranch when I was about 12 years old, he, he bought a, a ranch out about 30 minutes out of town. It's out in the middle of, it's really out in the middle of nowhere, but it's, it's uh it's beautiful land. And mm-hmm. uh, so we, we basically worked the ranch and, and, and that was, that was what we did, you know, from in our, in our teen years. Yeah. So he wanted us to, to learn how to, how to, you know, do the things he did. And we can, we right. can all raise cattle, raise, we could raise a garden if we needed to. We could, we could, uh, you know, change a tire, run a truck, <laughs> a country boy can't survive.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, you think about it today too. I think if a lot of other kids had that experience, they'd probably be a lot different than they are. Don't you think? And
1: I'll tell you something these days, uh, it, it, it trust me. In the last nine months, it has crossed my mind. Boy, I'm glad that I could just go out in the middle of nowhere with the piece of land and yeah. and survive.
0: Yeah, it, it teaches you a whole that's lot. Crazy. Yeah, it teaches. My dad was the same way. My dad was from Arkansas. He was a welder. Came from came from actually being in an orphanage. So I mean, it's a long story. But same thing. Same same work ethic. And I think that that's probably. I'm sure you've thought about this a lot. But that's a big reason why your your father had so much success.
1: Absolutely. His work ethic was, was undeniable. Anybody you ever talked to, he, he, I promise you, you weren't going to outlast him. Yeah. It was not going to happen. I've been here many, many, many nights with him. And and everyone who's ever worked here has, you know, I'm talking about 16, 18 hour days till right. two, three, four o'clock in the morning doing mixes and, you know, um, mix 120 with a high hat up one DB. <laughs> yeah
0: actually I love the, you know the 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 film like where he's he's working with the people you know more I guess kind of up before he uh, he got sick but he he was right. having uh, the guys in the studio and they're showing him working it I, I just loved it he's like okay it was good but let's try it one more time and it's just, you know. yeah yeah and they're like you know
1: he's like well I don't want you to do it this way well I thought you wanted me to do that another way well I did until I heard it now I want you to do it. <laughs>
0: exactly and that i mean the thing is like obviously when he was doing it way back when this there was no pro tools
1: you know it's 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 a pretty simple thing that most people in the music industry uh on the engineering producing studio side not most a lot of people don't get the young young people especially it's like and when it hits you you're just like oh really it's like (laughs) you got an idea let's listen to it and see what it sounds like yeah oh, wow, wow that's, that's a concept yeah who, how do you know what something's going to sound like to you you know yeah I got this idea. well let's let's hear it
0: yeah, especially yeah you just got you got to work your way through it right and then also you got mm-hmm. when you got world-class people with you they got great ideas i know i mean like we we used will oh. uh mcfarland your guitar player there one of the session guys and i mean yeah. will's i mean god he's played with everybody it's like when he says something you should listen because he has a lot of experience
1: <laughs> absolutely know? and that's what we do down here you know we put we put uh, when you come down here and you hire a group of our studio guys you're really hiring five five guys that are thinking like a producer and they're yep. on mine they're they're trying to come up with parts that are going to add to the project and to the song and you know that's that's kind of what makes our our guys a little different i think than, than a lot of other places and yeah that's the that's the, it's the same way in nashville as well they there's definitely that that there's tons of guys up there that do the same.
0: And there's, I mean, there is a big Nashville uh, Muscle Shoals connection because people don't really realize how close Nashville is. How many, it's like a couple hours, right?
1: It's two hours. You know, it's crazy. Even people that in Nashville in the music industry, I'll talk to them and they say, I'm trying to figure out how not to get so much. <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they'll be like... Hey, Your muscle shoals that's about six hours away, right? No, man, it's two hours. They think we're on the Gulf Coast. Right. But it's Muscle Shoals because we're on the river, which is has been dammed up here. So there's three beautiful lakes. Mm -hmm. Uh we're the largest. This is the largest section, the widest section and deepest section of the Tennessee River of the entire um track.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's so pretty down there, even besides the music, just and that people are nice
1: yeah you know it's just it's just good good southern people man it's just they really are they're just no, that's one that's the big reason i think my dad stayed here people ask him why didn't you go to la or nashville or new york because uh, he, he certainly could have he was the number one producer in the world for for you know a number of years yeah uh but he just he loved the people here and he loved the the, the lifestyle and uh you know it was just uh, it was comfortable
0: and there's a certain i mean when you listen to those records and i and i actually i mean even when i came down there with the musicians and the, the background singers the ladies were awesome uh, but there, there's a certain something there is a something there it's a, there's a certain southern uh vibe blues greasiness that's in the music that's in the players that you really hear which i think is is a big charm of the records
1: It is. It absolutely is. There's, there's a sound and a vibe and just, I don't know. It's just a a way of life. You know, it's just a lot more laid back here than anywhere really else you go to do uh, a recording session. It's just, I don't know that you could get any more. Maybe Jamaica, maybe. <laughs> yeah,
0: Oh, yeah. And you could stay <laughs> away from the
1: too laid back in Jamaica. You
0: could stay away from some of the activities. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: what's your uh, like? Some of your favorite memories as far as artists go? What What's some of those that come out come to mind when you're thinking about being a kid coming down there?
1: You know, uh, my favorite artists to come out of fame uh, were were Wilson Pickett, male hmm. male soul vocalist yeah. candy Staten, male female soul vocalist mac davis singer songwriter great guy he was he stated and a lot of these artists would stay in our house when they'd come to town because we uh-huh. didn't there weren't nice hotels here
0: yeah because it's still it a tiny happy. at that point probably tiny that town. Point,
1: very tiny there was you know we had a you know a, a, a holiday inn and a howard johnson's was about it yeah uh, so mac was here he did 13 or 14 albums with my dad so he was awesome.
0: yeah mac davis like i mean people know him as an artist but man what a songwriter
1: oh man he wrote in the ghetto he wrote little Less conversation watching scotty grow uh something's burning for uh kenny rogers and the whatever that was the first edition yeah um yeah amazing and, and a talented actor he was in north dallas 40 and several other other big movies he uh you know, he was just an all around talent, had a TV show. And I don't know if you remember, but they would do, he would go out into the crowd and say, give me a song title and I'll write a song. Yeah. <laughs> and give him some Goofy title. And he would write this funny song. Man. And he was, uh, I saw him do it at our house many times. He was just a talented, fun, amazing songwriter, singer, uh, good dude man just uh he'll be he'll be missed he just passed recently
0: right yeah actually my my high school friend tracy his dad was was uh, max uh, organ player rick lip Oh yeah. and yeah. Uh, that's when i i mean i i kind of you know mac davis was a name it's one of those names that you always heard and he was always around especially back in the 70s mm-hmm. and uh but people don't realize like those guys man like him such a talent and uh you know and a, a, a humble guy too it seemed
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. He was he he definitely he definitely was uh, confident, uh, but but he was humble nonetheless. He was he was very much a, a man's man, and you know he was he was fun to hang out with. We we used to do practical jokes on him and his wife. And, <laughs> you know, we short sheet their bed. it's <laughs> funny. We well, put remember put you know those, remember those plugs you used to get you could plug your Christmas tree in that would make a blink.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Before the before the the New Year led lights uh we'd put those on his lamp by his bedside he'd turn the light on and it'd go off and then come back on (laughs) it's funny
0: yeah it's it's you know i mean the cool thing is about about that those especially those guys staying at your house as they become family
1: yeah yeah oh absolutely absolutely they do um you know there's that's that's probably the the grow and growing up that was the funnest part and to find you know find out like i remember about 1979 i found out my dad was going to be doing Wild Cherries follow up to play that funky music. Yeah. So, oh, <laughs> that was the coolest thing! Ever. Yeah, that
0: was that was the schnizzle back in the seventies.
1: Yeah, man, it was like, oh yeah, here we go. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the album didn't do that well. The disco had come in, and they tried to do a disco thing, and it didn't. It was good. It was really good. It just it didn't. I found out later. I talked to Rob, Bob Parisi, the Rob Parisi, the uh, lead singer, and he said that. Uh, he was going through a divorce. They were leaving the label and the label knew it. So they weren't promoting it. So, and I was a kid, I didn't know all that was going on in the background, but uh, the, I, the, the other thing that, that I find looking back, I find that I enjoyed probably even more than the artists though, was the, the record executives.
0: Oh, okay.
1: You know, the Jerry Wexters and the Carl Ingeman's from Capital Yeah, these the
0: guys that were big characters, right?
1: Yeah. And they would come in and stay for several days and, you know, and and honestly, my dad was, would get more amped up about them coming than he would the artist because he knew who was paying for it all.
0: Right. Sure. Yeah. And Wexler, I mean, yeah. like he, he's another guy. I mean, if people tell us a little bit about, about him for folks that don't know who that is.
1: Jerry Wexler was a writer for Billboard magazine and then became, got into the music business by partnering with Atlantic Records, the Erdogan brothers who were doing a lot of jazz and and uh, Jerry brought R&B into the pictures. As a matter of fact, Jerry it was it was when he wrote for Billboard magazine. Uh, they called uh, R&B records "race records," and Jerry was the man that turned that coined the, the phrase "rhythm and blues."
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. To get away from that, and that's like when when, the, when was that? Like that that time period was probably 50s, 60s,
1: late 50s, early 60s, hmm. and then he became a partner uh, in Atlantic Records and you know produced brought aretha franklin to the table and uh brought uh the, the originally was involved in the allman brothers and otis redding and uh you know ray charles and just on and on and on i mean it was it was the these soul labels matter of fact my dad used to dream about working for atlantic and um, then he, 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 he eventually did you know it's funny there's a movie with john cusack uh, High fidelity. Is yeah, that yeah, that's it? a great film. So there's a there's a line in there where he goes, uh, him and I think Jack Black's in it. Is it Jack? Is it Jack Black or?
0: I try to remember.
1: I, I think it may <laughs> be Jack Black. But anyway, they're 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 working in the record store and they're like naming off the greatest jobs of all time. They, they would do the list and they're listing the greatest jobs, and and John Cusack says, record producer Atlantic. Independent record producer, Atlantic Records 1969. Like, my well, dad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, you think about that too. What was going yeah. on then? It's crazy, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and he was right in the middle of it. It was, was kind of crazy. You know, I was three, so I'm like, Wh- whatever. I remember him going to the Grammys and missing my birthday. But uh, <laughs> like,
0: know, come on, dad.
1: <laughs> I didn't really care. Honestly, I was like, okay. <laughs> Did you
0: leave my toys? Yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah, oh, that sounds like that's, what I got. I got at least he like came up with a good excuse. <laughs> you
1: know, I got like a I can't remember the name, but it was like a it was a cowboy doll thing, like a Tonto and Long Ranger or something. Anyway, I remember what I got. But, uh, <laughs>
0: you you were you came out okay. I found out later he
1: didn't win a Grammy. <laughs> oh that's
0: funny. Well, you know, hey, you can't win them all. You know, part of when you're talking about that story with Wexler and the Black artists, I mean like so people have to think like this is Alabama in the 60s. Yeah. And your dad one of the great really great parts of that legacy was that that didn't matter. I mean, you guys were cutting records with artists from every, you know, black artists, white artists, it didn't matter to him, right?
1: Gay artists, all of it, everything. It didn't matter. If you were to reach the bar that was set if you were good and you could do it, it didn't matter.
0: Yeah. And that says a lot about, I think about your family's legacy too, because that's really had a big part in opening up, um, the crossover, which is today like a term that is common, but it wasn't common back then. Right. You were either a black artist or you were a white artist.
1: Right. You know, exactly. That's exactly right. It was just starting to happen. You know, that that's when, uh, you know, right before my dad really got going was when, you know, um, uh, Pat Boone was covering Little Richard doing Tootie Fruity. Yep,
0: because they would have the black hit, and then they would pick a white artist and then them have them redo the hit for the black, white audience, right?
1: If you go listen, you should. If you, if you've never heard that song out there, go go pull up Little Richard uh, Tootie Fruity and look up Pat Boone Tootie Fruity. Right, you'll see what we're talking about
0: the vanilla bread, <laughs> white bread <Yeah>. <laughs> which is cool too pat I me mean, pat was Pat was cool but but that yeah that was just as i mean obviously a, a crazy time in the country with the race stuff and all that but it's great that your dad your dad played a part in that i mean really did and, and make bringing those artists to the forefront in their best light
1: right yeah i mean it was uh it was the 60s in alabama and they were you know hosing people down in, in birmingham and you know yeah. and, and and attacking people in Selma and all that was going on in Alabama, but in North Alabama, North Alabama was always a little, was, 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 you know, was not like the rest of the state. It was really not. It's, uh, it's always been a little different, um, kind of separated from, from the rest of Alabama.
0: All right, we were talking a little bit before we started about Aretha and, uh, you guys have something going on with Aretha right now. What, what, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. So, uh, yeah, Aretha, they've shot a movie, uh, called Respect, uh, which is Aretha Franklin's story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Aretha picked the producers, the directors. She picked Jennifer Hudson to play her. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which is amazing. She does an incredible job. Mary that's, J. A good, Blige. that's a good
0: casting choice.
1: <laughs> Mary J. Blige is in the movie. Um, Damon Wayans. Wow. Uh, Forrest Whitaker. So it's it's top notch and it's going to be her Bohemian Rhapsody for sure. And uh, it's so it's supposed to come out last fall and COVID hit. They moved it to January. COVID's still here. So they moved it again to August, August 13th. That's supposed to come out. And there's uh, I went over and watched them shoot the segment that was uh, about Muscle Shoals and it's uh, really good. And it's uh, it's going to be a, a, a big chunk of the movie. They they seem to think that that's the home run scene of the whole, wow. uh, whole thing. So uh, it should be exciting to see that. to the big screen hopefully hopefully
0: yeah i will yeah i mean that's i mean she's such a she's such a legend and she deserved and she deserves that
1: right just like ray and those guys so the scene in muscle shows ends with my dad getting in a fight with aretha's husband so
0: that's actually a pretty legendary story in the film that they talk about
1: yeah so that's i don't know how we'll see how that comes out you know (laughs) know.
0: Well, Dad, I got Dad. Dad, uh, hopefully, he gives his blessing from from
1: the funny. The funny thing about that story is, I've never heard. You know, I've really never heard who won. So nobody probably actually won. <laughs> nobody usually wins. Yeah. Nobody when
0: wins. when did your? Uh, I mean, I when we were down there, your dad, I just had some some surgery on his hips and that kind of thing. And when did he pass? What what year?
1: He passed January second, twenty eighteen. Yeah. So we're coming up on what uh, three years.
0: Mm. And what was yeah. that like? I mean coming in. So you took over now you're, you're the boss at the studio pretty much, right?
1: Well, the actual, you know, it's been, it's been evolving for a long time. He hadn't been materially involved in quite, you know, in, in several years uh-huh. so back in, back in 99, we sold uh, a publishing catalog and my brother and I bought the remaining portion and went into business together and, and, and started that. And that was, that's, that was our main income source. Yeah, you know, recording studios are are sounds like a good idea, but they're really not big money makers. And that's
0: and that's all really changed over the last probably decade, right? With the digital stuff,
1: they've never really been big money makers. They were, you know, even when my dad was at his height, it it made money, but he had he had a a record label. He was funneling all of it through his studio. He mm -hmm. had other labels coming, so. Uh, but you know, it's, it's really high upkeep. You've got to stay on top of equipment, yeah. um, you know, microphones. You got to constantly be upgrading. So it's, it, and you've only got so much time you can rent, you, you, you can only charge so much because there's going to be somebody else across town that's going to undercut you always. So, uh, uh you know, it's it, it to us, it's always been a, uh, a tool it's a, my dad used to used to tell me it's a draw it's it's you it pull people here and it uh, it's a tool for our productions and publishing and creating music that we can make money with royalties on it's our old rig
0: yeah your catalog <laughs> was was crazy right <laughs> the the, the cal- you're publishing yeah
1: we've had we have several catalogs we've got a record label catalog and you know we own part of that part of it we don't we've got publishing catalogs we've sold some of those and and ha- and retained some so it's 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 ever evolving and it's and it's all it's pretty at this point it is such a mountain which is something i'm having to deal with now that i never really even thought about is just the mountain of audio, the mountain of video, the mountain of pictures. Which is
0: something that we talked about because I work with Getty Images as a photographer. And I know you got, you have some amazing images.
1: Yeah, we've got, you know, probably 1500 images. For whatever reason, my dad had this insight to hire a a professional photographer on all the major sessions. So we've got tons of pictures. And I don't think anybody was doing that back then. And
0: you got like amazing stuff with Andrew James and like just
1: Yeah. It's kind of crazy that it even happened. we got pictures of the Allman brothers, Dwayne Allman. He was nobody. He was a session musician. And he brought some guys up from making to jam with him, which just happened to be.
0: And that was actually in the studio where you're sitting at, right?
1: Right. It happened to be j and Barry Oakley, who were the, the, the first members of the Allman brothers. And then Greg came down and, and, and jam with them for the first time in our studio. Well, before Greg got there, there's pictures. There's pictures of them setting up in the studio for the very first time. That's crazy. Going, Jamo's going through his records to look to see what songs they're going to jam to. <laughs> wow. Right. Now, how did that even happen? That that picture was taken of these nobodies that are just setting up in the studio this particular yeah. day.
0: Yeah. The Dick. Tell us a little bit about the the, the Dickie Betts story. I, you mentioned he he camped out in the in the parking lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry Dwayne, I'm sorry.
1: So Dwayne had been in the a band called The Hourglass with Greg and some of the other guys some Muscle Shoals, Johnny Sandlin and Pete Carr, mm-hmm. the, uh, Paul Hornsby. Yeah. They had had a record deal on Liberty Records and they were doing like they wanted them doing like this psychedelic pop stuff and they they didn't really like the music and they didn't like the direction and Dwayne hated it and he was So Dwayne just said so they wanted out of their contract. So Liberty said, we'll let you all out of your contracts except for Greg. We want to keep him. So Greg stayed behind. Dwayne left, came to Muscle Shoals, and hit up my dad for a – he was a big Clarence Carter fan. He hit up my dad for a studio, a session gig, to be a session musician. My dad told him he didn't need any guitar players. He's got plenty. Yeah. And he said, well, you mind if I just camp out here on your parking lot and and hang out for a few days? He said, well, have at it. Yeah. And the parking lot at that time was – was a field. It wasn't, right. it wasn't, you know, if there was a parking lot, it was gravel <laughs> uh, there was Nothing around us. It's all grown up now. But uh, so Dwayne hung around and, and started jamming with some of the guys. And they're like, Rick, you need to you need to listen to this guy.
0: Yeah, it's for real. Like the stuff he was doing.
1: Ended up playing on some Clarence Carter records and Wilson Pickett records. And my dad signed him to a, a, a publishing agreement and a as a musician, yeah. studio musician and an artist
0: yeah because he had his own thing man. of that, that slide that, that he had played a he Yeah, he care. just
1: uh, and at that time greg hadn't come yet so my dad went in and cut some stuff on Dwayne and the other guys and it was just there was no singer and it was just old blues songs and he was like i, I don't i don't get it i don't get it
0: that was really the birth of southern rock i mean right there happening yeah.
1: hey jude was, was considered uh wilson pickett cut where Dwayne talked the guys into recording hey jude yeah, and that's such why a great people, that's such a great. They had it out on the uh, on the pop world cutting the R&B version of it and it's it is it's it's an amazing version.
0: People should check that out. And that's actually um all that stuff or a lot of those tunes are actually on the um, Muscle Shoals soundtrack which I have and I love every every song is like a little diamond.
1: They are. They are. There's there's also uh, that's all there's, there's a Muscle Show a Fame Muscle Shoals Spotify channel that I have up that's got everything like yeah. 300
0: which I listened to. Tell us about, so you've done a, a new record featuring the songs of Muscle Shoals and it was a small town, big sound. Yes. And that came out in 2018.
1: It did uh, came out uh, on uh, that was a, a joint venture between me and a guy named Keith Stegall, uh, Nashville, his Dreamlined uh, Keith is a producer. He did all, uh, he's done every Alan Jackson record that's ever been done. He did a Zach Brown band, all their hits he did uh merley randy travis and he's also written you know he wrote we're in this love together for Al Jarreau. yeah
0: he's a legendary guy
1: yeah legendary guy so we, we we decided to do this record together i'd already started on it and did a a track with uh jim moose brown who's my buddy uh well the first track we did was on a guy named eli paperboy reed um Hillaway, who's a great blues artist if, you, if you're into blues you should check out eli uh, so after Eli we did uh, the, the Civil Wars did a track for us Called Tell Mama Which didn't make the record Because they had broken up By the time the record came out So then we did uh, Jamie Johnson did a track On Bob Dylan's uh, Gotta Serve Somebody Yeah Yeah, Moose kept uh, coming to me Going So Willie Nelson wants to sing on this You cool with that one? Well, yeah well, let's, let's do that Then he's like uh, So there's this new guy And th- at the time He was relatively new uh, I knew of him through his work with steel drivers and some other people and just, just writing. But he's like, this guy, Chris Stapleton wants to sing on it. Are you, you cool with that? Yeah. Then uh, next thing, you know, Leon Womack wanted uh, on it. And so it ended up being those four doing got to serve somebody, which is about an eight minute song. Yeah, uh,
0: I'll tell you it, what, man, you listen to that tune. And, and just when those guys come in singing, I mean, obviously Willie, but you read every one of those voices. It's just, it's like, you know, I, I always say like people, you know, they'll, they'll bag on Willie's voice, but I'm like, you know what? He sings two words, you know, it's him. And that's, that's so rare.
1: Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. So uh, yeah. So that, that, that record came about, which got Keith interested. He loved it. And, and uh, so we, we went in partnership together and got with BMG. We did 15 or 16 tracks and it was fun. It took, it took a couple two or three years to just to do the recording. And it took several years before that, just to put the deals together and make it all.
0: Yeah. Can you can t- tell us some of the other names that are on that record? Cause it's, it's actually pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> we did uh, So we did uh, Grace Potter did uh, I'd rather go blind, which was the number one Americana record for us uh, for several weeks. Steven Tyler did Brown sugar with Nino Betancourt from uh, extreme. Um, Vince Gill did a Glenn Fry song. Michael McDonald did Etta James song, um, uh, who else is on that? Uh, Al <laughs> Krauss, Kid Rock, uh, Alan Jackson, Keb Mo, Aloe Uh We cut a Demi Lovato track that didn't make the record, but uh, stay tuned on that. Hopefully, we're going to have that out coming up soon.
0: Like Alicia Key does has is on there too, right? Not on that oh, she's actually she's on the um. Actually, I should say she's on the documentary. And actually, right. the end of that is just man, it's so cool. The film soundtrack is something that people should have because it's actually the history of American music, like those hits. And it's, it's obviously the early stuff, but it's also late, the later artists. And uh, one of the artists that we talked about um, that you, I know you guys have a lot of love for is Bob Seeger.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We did uh, yeah. a guy named Court Overstreet uh, who was on the show Glee did, did Bob's song uh, on the album. We've got tonight and uh, yeah, absolutely. Bob Seeger did, did half of all his hits in muscle shows over, at, over at muscle show sound. Uh, with, with, with the Swampers, uh, David Hood and those guys. And yeah, they did uh, did some great records.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, again, it's like just a legacy of that town. It's it's amazing. It's like the history of American pop Southern rock. I mean.
1: Yeah, you know, so much happened here, but there was so much happened at, at Muscle Show Sound too and at Wishbone Studios. You know, Muscle Show Sound did, did Bob Dylan. They did Rod Stewart, Tonight's the Night, and First Cut is the Deepest and did, uh, staple singers i'll take you there respect yourself uh dire straits i mean it's it's pretty you look at the list from the t- these two studios and it's it's really really i mean it just looking at one of them is pretty phenomenal but then you sh- look at the other and then there's some you know some artists that did both studios like wilson pickett
0: and they talk about that and the muscle shows film, like when the guys this regional Swapper guys first left to go do that obviously your dad wasn't happy about it but ultimately, you guys all ended up and becoming still staying
1: family. Oh, absolutely! It's you know like any family, you fight but But uh, yeah, he was pissed. He was pissed. We were all. I mean, and he got us all pissed. We were pissed. <laughs> I was a kid. I didn't even know why I was pissed. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> but uh, I'll be I'll be honest with you. So he had gone and to get a a major upgrade deal with Capitol Records. He had left Atlantic over his fight with Wexler, basically. Those guys wanted to keep working with Atlantic, so they decided to open up their own place. And, and looking back, I, I don't blame them at all. And it's like, if if they hadn't have done that, I told my dad this, and he finally, in his latter years, he finally had admitted to it that, uh, you know, if they hadn't opened up their own place, it would have been a one horse town.
0: Yeah, because they actually did the, the original Leonard Skinner record, yeah, recorded yeah, there.
1: Yeah. Jimmy Johnson did that. And uh, with, with Alan Walden, who uh, I think was their manager and continued to be their manager. Uh, But yeah, there's so much, so much music, but when they first left, my dad was really pissed. The biggest thing he was pissed about is again, you know, these small towns, there's four small towns here. A sound had been created and they were calling it the muscle show sound and it was created at fame. And he (laughs) got, He felt like he had created it and they took the name and named their studio Muscle Show Sound Studio in Sheffield.
0: Right. Which kind of created, even still to this day, there's a little, it creates a little bit of a confusion about what was recorded, where.
1: Super confusion, yeah. super confusion to anybody that doesn't know. It's, uh, there's never been an article written where there weren't where wasn't confusion. Even my dad's obituaries <laughs> in when he died, had, had him listed as producing the Rolling Stones and stuff. And yeah. You know, in, in interviews, people would ask him about it. And, and he did a Larry, it was funny. He did a Larry King interview. They asked him about the Rolling Stones. And I, I don't know if he was nervous or what, but he just like, yeah, they're great guys. I love working with them. Like, working with them. <laughs>
0: well, I, I guess if you're going to say that, that's a good band to be associated with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting, man. That's, uh, that whole story is just, it's just fascinating to me. And I think, I mean, that the Muscle Show's film really you know that exploded how, what was that a surprise for your father or how, how did that how did that how do you feel about it
1: honestly we had been promote we've been trying to find someone to tell the story for years uh we knew the story was we knew how good we thought the story was and that, and, and and it was and and the, you know there's a group here the Muscle Shows Music Association that was started in the seventies to promote Muscle Shoals music had done some little, you know, and they were just doing promotional videos over the years, just wasn't to try to get a documentary, but just to promote. And we would show those to people that came in, celebrities, you know, executives. And they are just like, man, this is, should be a movie. So we knew it was a good documentary in it. And uh, so we looked for people for years and, and they came, we had the guy that did standing in the shadows of Motown came through and it yeah, a great film. Him. yeah paul justman he's a good guy we were all in and uh you know then 2008 the economy tanked and he couldn't find funding and so that went away and there was others along the way that wanted to do it and couldn't find the funding or 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 whatever you know and uh, then these guys came along steven badger and freddie camelier and uh they had they had the budget to do it and they had the network to make it happen and they had never done a documentary before, hmm. uh, believe it or not. But wow, I mean, that that's,
0: that you, film is so so well done.
1: Yeah, they just had they, they 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 had the the business context and and the wherewithal to know that they didn't know everything and they needed to bring in great people in these certain positions, and they did it. And, and it could have been you know it could have been uh, you know a a film about a bunch of hicks in Alabama making music. <laughs> but that made it beautiful. And and Tony, Art, the, the cinematographer I always have to give him credit because he made our area look as beautiful as it is.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh,
1: but it's, it, it was, it's, they did a stunning job and it really, really, um, opened up, you know, people within the music industry knew about muscle shows and they knew about it through and, and super fans knew from just reading the liner notes on the back of albums and CDs. Um, which leads you to the conclusion that there's no way this could happen today because yeah, exactly there are, no, there are no liner notes and nobody reads that stuff anymore. That the, the documentary was was huge for us and uh, continues to be. And we're just we're ready to do volume two.
0: The thing about the documentary, well, same thing with standing in the shadows of Motown, and also the um the the film that was based on the LA guys. The thing I liked about it was it really talked about the musicians. I mean, obviously the stars are in there too, but. a lot of those films they focus on the on what we you know the music stars but they don't talk about the guys that actually were there doing making making it happen
1: yeah you know um here we we feel like the stars are the musicians and the producers and the engineers the guys that, that they're the studio rock stars so to speak and that's uh uh, you know, somebody asked my dad one time, I see he was intimidated by artists when they came in, and he said, No, I never felt like I was never intimidated, I always felt like I was smarter than they were. Yeah, but I mean,
0: that's <laughs> it's, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's good to know if you're the smartest guy in the room, but you just don't always let everybody know it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he was also smart enough to know that he needed to fill every position on that the, the the session musicians with a guy that could bring it. A guy that can absolutely bring it. And if he couldn't bring it, he would replace it in a heartbeat. Yeah. And the number one key is knowing what a great song is and knowing what works for the market. That was his really brilliance was, was knowing what song will work. And if he he felt like a song was a hit, he'd, he'd record it on four or five different artists. Yeah you know just different versions and different different even even different genres
0: i mean that's a that's a great lesson for even like budding producers it's all about the song right now ultimately like you could have everything else you could have a big name but if the song's not happening
1: it's all about the song and it's all about the the, the groove and it's all about you know the, the the track whether that be very very you know limited track with with you know a lot of space or whether it's you know, large production. Just that's that's you know, those are the keys. Is how how you meld all that together, and then how you put, you know, if you're, if you're hiring studio musicians, how you put those different personalities into mm-hmm. those places to make the feel come out like you want it. You know, and if you're, that's the thing I think that's wrong with a lot of today's music. then there's there's you know, there's there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's all good in its own right. But I think a lot of modern you know, programmed music is. You got one guy making all the decisions and, you know.
0: Yeah, it's that, it's that stew of bringing the different personalities, right, that, that makes the magic, I think.
1: Yeah, it's just not as organic. When you got six guys in the room that all know, know each other very well, have played together many, many times, they all know what each other are going to play, and, you know, you take the second verse, I'm going to take the first verse. And, right. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It really is.
0: What's the uh, what's the future for you? I know you just remodeled. Well, recently remodeled Studio B, Studio A. You walk in there and you just the history is just it's a, it's everywhere in the walls. It's in the microphones. But what what's the future for you guys? Like, what are you working on now, and what, what do you have coming up?
1: You know, we're working on several things. I'm actually uh, have have uh, recruited and and put together a new fame Gang, which is a group of studio guys that that's not only going to be studio guys we're going to be it's going to be a a working band that's going to do tours and and (laughs) we'll have guests there's several singers in the group and we'll have guest singers come in it's going to be kind of a uh uh, an organic uh moving group that's that is not you know five particular guys but it's going to draw from basically from all of our studio guys and just a
0: bunch bunch of amazing players down there
1: yeah yeah you know if if so-and-so can't play bass this month we'll get we'll get you know Jimbo Hart from Jason Isabel's band to to fill in
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and uh, that kind of thing so that's exciting we've got uh we've got several things in the works that I can't really talk about but
0: uh you told uh, me but I can't
1: say (laughs) there's there's some really exciting things some things yeah some other things that I didn't even tell you about that sure uh, that is a is in the works, but you know, it's 2020 has been such a weird year. We've kind of been using the, this time to like build what we want to do going forward, uh, which is to, to create music and content and on some level, be a record label of sorts, a modern day record label. That's uh, a lot more artist friendly than, than in the past.
0: And what what you guys also have been doing some live streams there that were really fun. You you see perceive or see doing more of those in the future?
1: Yes, or? we're definitely going to do more of those. Uh, we we've, we've we do a thing called Live at Fame, and uh, it's uh, we've we've done several, but we're we're really about to, to pick it up uh, a good bit over the next year or two. Uh, several notches actually. We're we're in talks with some people about doing some exciting things with that. But yeah, we we're, we're we're just you know, we're, we're trying to figure out the new world.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody is kind of, it's kind of dealing with that and also just, you know, like you carrying on the legacy and, and building, I mean, really building your own legacy. And I know you've been doing that for the last several years. Um, I think, did you, did you really feel pressure in terms of filling your dad's shoes? Did you, how did you, how did you feel about that when you kind of took things over with your brother?
1: You no, know, yeah, there was there was definitely a pressure in, in, in the beginning. And we luckily, in our publishing world, we had had pretty immediate success. Uh, we we published a song called Modern Day Bonnie and Clyde. It was a big hit for Randy, for uh, Travis Trent. Then we had uh, a song called um, Saints and Angels for Sarah Evans, which is a top 10 record. And we had a Gary Adams hit and a Tim McGraw hit and you know, cuts on you know, Rascal flats. And so we had some pretty immediate success in the country world, awesome. uh, which, which was at, the, at that point in time, which was about, you know, it's about the time Napster hit. So it was, it was still, we were still, money was still flowing pretty well.
0: Yeah. Cause that whole world sort of sort of changed, I guess. Years.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's where our world changed. You know, that's, that's almost, almost 20 years ago now. Right. And it's, it's been evolving since then, and it hadn't been good. It's been a, it been a good 20 years, uh, honestly, for the music industry in general. Uh, it's been tough. And uh, honestly...
0: Yeah, because kids, kids aren't used to paying for music anymore. No. I mean, that's a, sort of an old story, but it's it's still happening. It is.
1: It is. You know, luckily, they're paying a little bit now with streaming, and, and it's that's, that's actually starting to be... Uh, uh, it's it's the most significant thing we've got. I mean everything else
0: yeah and those and those things have been rene- they've been renegotiated. I guess they had sort of had to play catch up right the Yeah
1: they're still they're still too low but they it it's it's you know the music modernization act was a big deal. Uh, I'm glad that happened but uh, they're still playing too small but it's it's basically on from the publishing side uh, it's it's all streaming. You know downloads physical sales are you know are pretty much gone. The only positive to any physical sales is vinyl. Is, is made up,
0: and it's interesting because vinyl, vinyl has made made a big comeback.
1: Yeah, and it just it, it, what's funny. What's funny about it is that people are paying exorbitant amounts of money for you know, uh, you know, thirty bucks for for a vinyl record. People will pay for a quality product that they can hold in their hands and they can read about it and they can. ask yeah. pictures, and it's just you know, it's uh, with the digital world we lost. Uh, most of that there's there's still-
0: yeah i always think back to when i used to get you know back in the in the 70s get my kiss album <laughs> and, you, and you opened up that album kiss alive too and you're absolutely. like oh my god
1: i had it man i had it i was I, had the kiss, <laughs> I was in the kiss army too
0: yeah you know what i mean that was that was the, the, the thing happened to think when i was like uh, 12 <laughs>
1: absolutely. <laughs> absolutely Kiss, the doobie brothers and the eagles and i was i was across the board
0: yeah. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's, those are good memories. And I, I think that that that's cool that uh, I think the cool thing about vinyl coming back is, you know, the kids that didn't get that the first time around now they can kind of rediscover that, yeah. that excitement.
1: It is a cool thing. That's uh, you know, I've, I've missed vinyl since CDs came out. Uh, I remember, I don't know how I think CDs came out about 81 or 82. I was probably, I was probably like a freshman in high school or something. I remember coming to the studio and i would read billboard magazine all the time huh. cuz because because that was what we did here and right it, sure i'd read the charts and see how many weeks dark side of the moon had been on the on the charts yeah for like 745 weeks is <laughs> 10 years or something I remember just going what the hell is this? and
0: it still sounds
1: amazing yeah, <laughs> yeah. so anyway i remember reading about cd the, this new cd product that was going to come out and it was you know, you couldn't scratch it; it would last forever. Perfect quality. It's like, yeah. Now looking back, it's like, oh, well, none of that was true.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it and it doesn't. It just doesn't sound the same. You know.
1: No, but I, the, the biggest thing I missed though was the the, the album jackets. You know, the, the album art. It was like it was a it was a thing in its own right. You know, I mean, you walk in the store and you see kiss dynasty like that pops man yeah that, love god or montrose jump on, <laughs> i don't know if you remember that remember montrose oh yeah yeah, yeah. remember that i had an album man. called jump on it and it was basically a woman's crotch yeah. always like that one for some reason
0: <laughs> oh you always think about the never mind, right the uh that record too. yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> It was yeah. it was an art within itself that that, that went kind of went away for me. I'm glad it's coming back now. And
0: that's all. I mean, that's all part of the thing of music. It's it's the whole thing. It's the whole package. It's it's the artist. It's the the mystery of the artist. The songwriting. The whole the whole vibe is something that we all fall in love with.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It is a it is a package of art, uh, you know. And some are better than others at, at every different part of it, you know.
0: If um, people want to find um, find you guys online, can you tell us how to do that?
1: Yes. Um, we have our websites, famestudios.com. And, you know, we have, we have Facebook, Instagram, uh, what else? All the, all the stuff. All the stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you have, like you said, you had your, your Spotify list too, which is awesome. People should check that out.
1: Yep. Yep. I think that's under uh, fame studios and publishing. Yeah. Go to, you can go to our, go to our website and you can be directed to all that stuff.
0: Is there any, any, any words of wisdom to, um, people that want to be producers, kids starting out, like what, what, what would be your advice to them?
1: Be vigilant about the song. The song is the most important thing of all. And if the song's not there, nothing's there. No matter how great the singer is, how great the track is, if the song is not, doesn't move people, then, I'll you know, know, you're, you're, you're wasting, um not wasting time, but you're, you know, you're, you're beating a dead horse if you don't have a great song. Yeah, so, Polishing a turd as my dad used to say.
0: Your dad's, you know, had a, an amazing legacy and you're, you're, you guys are building your legacy there, which I think is awesome. I've just put out some amazing stuff since you've, you've been in charge and, and you and your brother and I, your mom's still still there too. With she, you guys.
1: Is. she is. She's 78 years old and she's still, uh, she's still doing it. She's still, uh, still here. And, and she, she handles our bookkeeping. Oh, okay. She she makes everybody pay us. She's
0: that's, you know what, that's good. You got to have that.
1: <laughs> really good at and making other people pay us and uh, making sure we don't pay too much for everything. So, yeah, yeah, it's, that's probably the most important thing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Rodney, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think, you know, we've only scratched the surface. I mean, literally, we literally could do hours because there's so much there. And I think it's amazing that what you guys, what your dad accomplished, what you guys have accomplished, that you're carrying on the family legacy that actually your dad just really changed the world of music, which I think is, is pretty amazing.
1: Well, thank you, Daryl. I, I appreciate you and appreciate what you do. And uh, you do do a lot of great work out there on social media and just uh, in the business. And I appreciate that. And uh, just glad to be your friend.
0: <laughs> well, likewise, and uh, we'll do more. We got we got to get the live streams up, and we'll we'll let people know about that. Um, we'll definitely partner with. We have our music pages, uh, Music Crowns in London, and uh, uh, Bass and Guitar love out of Italy, and those pages have about seven million music people on them, um, and they've enjoyed some of the stuff that we've shared before, and uh, we're definitely we'll definitely get that together to partner with you guys.
1: That sounds great.
0: Awesome! All Thank right, you so much, buddy. Rodney.
1: Absolutely. Have a great afternoon.
0: Yeah, have a, have a good time and en- enjoy the barbecue we were just talking
1: about. <laughs> <laughs> I may hit some right now.
0: Sounds good, man. <laughs> have, a good, have a great day. Take care. Thanks, Rodney. Bye. Thanks for joining us and please consider subscribing to our podcast and follow us on our
1: social media pages for guest announcements.